two Sunday afternoons ago, we were uh, strolling through Colonial Williamsburg, Virginia, uh, when we paid a visit to Bruton Parish Church, where uh, Patty and I have uh, worshiped before, a watercolor of which uh, hangs in our family room and has figured f uh, significantly into not only the history of our country, uh, but of the congregation itself, which was actually started in 1674, if you can believe that. Uh, although, like St. Andrew, it also relocated and uh, built a brand new church in 1715. Uh, which is uh, in use to this very day by a still active Episcopal uh, congregation. As a matter of fact, when uh, the original survey maps for the town of Williamsburg were uh, drawn up, they were drawn around Bruton Parish, uh, which had already been built because the church was obviously the center of life. And its attendees included people like George Washington and uh, Thomas Jefferson and George Mason and a number of other uh, notables, although, uh, you know, it may interest you to know that uh, our daughter Lauren and I attended a church in New York City one time where Justin Bieber was at the early service, so there. Anyway, at Bruton Parish, uh, the docent uh, talked to us about the seating plan uh, that existed for the church during its colonial days. Uh, so that men would all sit together on the north side of the nave and women would all sit together on the south side of the nave, unless you were wealthy, in which case you got permission to sit with your spouse. High-ranking officials like uh, surveyors and the governor's uh, counselors sat in the front because they were the important people. And then behind them uh, were the ordinary folks, the commoners, so to speak, but only if you were actually registered as a member of the parish church, and then uh, slaves and other servants who were e even given permission at all to attend the service were finally seated in the back, but only if there was enough room for them. And then uh, the balcony was reserved for students from William and Mary College, while college officials sat surrounding the chancel itself. And then way up at uh, the very front uh, was one magnificent uh, chair up high on a platform with a canopy above it, and that was the seat reserved for none other than Governor Alexander Spotswood, who designed the church, and uh, after which Spotsylvania uh, has been named. And then last but not least, the docent uh, was quick to uh, remind us that not only did George Washington worship there, but George Washington slept there. To which she added with a twinkle in her eye, depending of course on who the preacher was on that particular Sunday, ha ha ha. And so the next time you come into St. Andrew and uh, you find somebody else sitting in your normal pew, uh, ju just chill out uh, because it's nothing compared to the preferred seating pan plan of uh, Brute Parish Church in Colonial Williamsburg, Virginia in the 1700s. And it just makes me wonder uh, what kind of a sermon Bruton's pastor James Blair would have preached 300 years ago on today's passage from Luke chapter 14, where Jesus is speaking uh, not to a group of common followers, as we learn in verse 1, but rather uh, to a group of Pharisees who were high-ranking religious officials and influential people of their day, having been invited uh, to a Sabbath dinner at the home of what Luke calls a leader of the Pharisees. Now, uh, the Greek New Testament actually calls this guy an archon. In other words, he was an arch-Pharisee which would have made this the hottest ticket in town, at least if you were a Pharisee. 
And yet uh, Luke also hastens to add that at this dinner, they were watching Jesus closely because already, at least it's a clue, that his message was already under suspicion. But of course, Jesus was obviously also watching them closely as they were jostling for positions of honor and prestige for the best seats in the house, as it were, which would have been as close as they could possibly get to the Arch-Pharisee or the host of uh, the dinner. Because in first century Greco-Roman culture, uh, seating pointed routinely to social disparities and, and humility was actually seen as a sign of weakness and not really a, a virtue. But Jesus isn't intimidated by any of this. And so in the middle of this dinner, he announces his own preferred seating plan for those who were gathered there, saying to the Pharisees, in essence, you guys are doing this all wrong. What you ought to do is seek the lowest seats and then have the host call you up rather than being humiliated by jostling for the, the best seats in the house or the places of honor and then being told to move back. Because here's the thing. People who exalt themselves will get humbled. And people who humble themselves, they will get exalted. Which, of course, is not the way it always worked in first century culture. It's not always the way it works in our culture today. But what I can promise you is that that is precisely how it works in the kingdom of God. That is the preferred seating plan of Jesus Christ. And even though a lot of things have changed at Bruton Parish uh, Church in the last 300 years, you know, it's still kind of true today that seating is... It's a metaphor, it's a symbol for things like status and rank and influence and affluence and power. I mean, if you're, if you're seated in first class on an airplane, well, you, you know, you, you got some affluence, if not influence, you know, unlike the cattle back in economy. You know, if, if you're seated at the head of the table, then you're probably the leader of the meeting. Uh, musicians are situated on chairs according to their rank and, and to their ability. Uh, a cathedral is not just a beautiful church or a, a fancy piece of architecture. It comes from the word cathedra, which means the bishop's chair. It's where the bishop seats, sits, and that is the seat that makes the cathedral what it is, not the, not the architecture. And, and the closer you get, of course, to the action at a concert hall or a theater or in the stadium, the more expensive the seats are. Not to mention the boxes that are up above and high eye and far away from the rest of the crowd. Uh, several years ago, a member here at uh, St. Andrew invited me uh, to a football game at one o'clock on a Sunday afternoon at FedEx Field. And I, I said to him, Tom, I can't go. I don't get out of here until after one o'clock. And he said, wow, too bad. I've got two tickets on the 50-yard line. And I said, you know, on second thought, I think I can go uh, after all, you know, because you're part of my ministry and, you know, Pastor Mortehorse can take the 11 o'clock service. Or if you're invited to a wedding reception and uh, you, you pick up the little card, you know, and you're at table 13 and there are 13 tables, we'd just be glad you got invited at all. And even though, you know, I want people to think I'm humble, I've never in my life flown on Southwest Airlines and said, I hope I get group C. 
you know, right in the middle of the row so everybody else has a better seat than me. But Jesus is talking about a stunning reversal in the way that you and I and so much of the world tend to think. He's talking about a world where everything for his followers is inside out. He's talking about true humility, which comes from the word humus, which means the ground or the earth, which is why we refer to humble people as being very grounded or very down to earth. And that is a very critical issue for us today. It is critically important, not only in the church, but in the culture in which we live, where there is just unspeakable arrogance all around us and a hunger for personal self-satisfaction and power and appetite and narcissism passes for assertiveness. And yet I can't help but uh, think again how, you know, in his eulogy of the late president, George H.W. Bush, former Wyoming Senator Alan Simpson talked about how humble that man was. And he gave several examples. You can go see it on YouTube yourself if you want. And at one point, he even quoted the president as saying to him, Al, it's not about me. It's about the country after which he set the whole thing in contrast by reminding those who were gathered for the service, and I quote him, uh, that today, those who travel on the high road of humility are never bothered by heavy traffic. The problem is that when you look up the word humility in the dictionary, you usually find things like a sense of unworthiness or uh, low self-regard. But in a context of a relationship with Jesus, nothing could possibly be farther from the truth. Because in the context of our relationship with Jesus, humility really is a virtue and it has nothing at all to do with uh, self-depreciation. In fact, humility can produce enormous power, great success unimaginable influence. And I want to talk a little bit about how that actually happens and can happen. Beginning with some words that uh, are attributed famously to C.S. Lewis, that humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. And there is a difference because humility for a Christian begins with knowing that your identity, your worth, your value, your greatness is in the person of Jesus, the one who came down to earth, the one who knew that you, you were worth his sacrifice on a cross, the one who gave you and me and all of his children a place at the table of God. And there is no status, there is no rank that exceeds that in all this world. And so as you heard, uh, we're celebrating this weekend the baptisms of four children, including twin sons of two of our co-workers in the gospel uh, today, all of whom are being welcomed. They are being inducted into the highest office in the land. And our job, yours and mine, is to make sure those boys never forget that. That they know 
that they should never think less of themselves, but they should think of themselves less because they know that their worth, their value, their greatness is in Jesus Christ and not in their jostling for worldly recognition or power. And then the next thing to do once you settle that issue is you start to look at your time, at your talent, at your treasure, at your influence, at your affluence, at uh, your uh, assets, at your success. And just see all of those things as a trust from God. And then start to use those things for God's glory, for the glory of the host of the table and do that in service to the world around you not thinking less of yourself but thinking of yourself less and using your whole life and whatever comes to you by God's grace in service to one another for the glory of God and so uh, Jesus goes on to say that humility is about who you serve it is about who you invite it's about who you welcome it's about who you include meaning not just those people who can benefit you in this world of patronage and reciprocity uh, that was also endemic to uh, the first century. But when you settle those issues and you know who you are by knowing whose you are, when you know your greatness is is in him, when you are grounded in him, when you humble yourself before him in faithful worship, when you use the gifts that he has given you in service to the world around you, then what I can guarantee you is this, your life will forever be different. It will be different. It will never be the same. And so two uh, Sunday afternoons ago, uh, we visited a church where the father of this country, who I'm pretty sure sat in the front row, humbled himself before his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Rosa Parks did not give up her seat because she knew who she was. When Pastor Nick Gonzalez first got to St. Andrew a little more than three years ago, in that very first week, he asked me a question. He said, hey, uh, where do the pastors park on Sunday? I said, we park by the dumpsters. (laughs) We park by gray, which is also true. One time I was on my way home from a uh, church meeting in Phoenix and the flight was oversold and I gave up my seat to a woman in tears who was desperate to get back to Baltimore for some unknown reason. And then on the flight uh, that I got on later, several hours after that was rescheduled, I got bumped up to first class. Yeah, and I felt exalted. Except now that I've shared that with you, I'm about to be humbled, obviously. (laughs) Another time I was on a military flight with the Maryland National Guard where I was serving as a civilian chaplain to our service women and uh, men for a time, and I got invited up into the cockpit of an airplane called a C-5 for a nighttime landing at Joint Base Andrews. It was a spectacular honor. But more often than that, you know, frankly, it's usually the other way around. Like when I uh, called the current pastor of the congregation I formerly served for eight action-packed years, and he wasn't in, and I said, well, please tell him to call Pastor Rico. And, and she said, okay, can you spell that? I said, I died for you. And 
Now you want me to spell my name for you. Or uh, when I first came to St. Andrew and my colleague uh, Paul Gibbler from North Carolina said, you know, Mark, uh, you know, isn't George Lobain the pastor at St. Andrew? And I said, yeah, I, I've succeeded George. And he looked at me and said, you? <laughs> yeah, just like that, right? Yeah, me. Or the time uh, many of you know about when I was, you know, picking up uh, Chinese takeout and I was in uniform like I am uh, today. And the guy behind the counter and I had this little conversation and he kindly finally figured it out and he said, oh, you are a holy man. I said, yes, I am. And so I went home and I told my wife that story and uh, she looked at me and she said, uh, take out the trash, holy man. And then I was humbled as I pulled the can down the driveway to the curb. Uh, friends, the point of this passage today is not that being famous is a flaw. It's not that success is sinful. It's not that it's wrong to know the right people. It's not that you can't be a great leader and a humble Christian at the same time. The point of the passage today is that it's all different when it's all about Jesus. Everything is different when it's all about Jesus, who came down to earth to give you and me a place at the table of God because we are the children of the kingdom. And so we give thanks to God that these two precious boys are about to be inducted into the highest office in the land. And our job is to make sure they never forget it until we are all seated together at the marriage feast of the one who sits at the right hand of the Father because his work is done for you and me. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen.